What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of new comics bunch that have of come stuff. out this week. And also, we are going to be talking about an older book, specifically JLA Rock of Ages. Now, this Woo-hoo! was requested over in the iTunes comments by ZerNR45. If you would like to request yes. a older book or maybe a newer book that we've just missed for the stack to review hit us up there leave a rating five stars required i'm sorry you just have to oh come on man wow. okay okay you're right i'm sorry five stars and then <laughs> leave a comment as well requesting what book you'd like us to take a look at and we will add it to the queue there because we'd love checking this stuff out but let's kick it off with the new stuff first flashpoint beyond number one from dc comics written by jeff johns jeremy adams and tim sheridan art by zermonico and Mikkel janine as you can probably tell from the title, we are heading back to the Flashpoint universe. Thomas Wayne Batman has found himself trapped there. He doesn't know why the universe has reformed or why it is back, but he is on the warpath trying to bring the regular universe back. Meanwhile, we readers know that our version of Batman, Bruce Wayne, has something to do with it and is behind it in some way. So big stuff is afoot here. This is picking up directly from the zero issue, kicking into the number one issue. Uh, what do you guys think about this one? I thought this was a really amazing first issue. Ton of action. Really just kind of like great uh, uh, kind of like story. I hate Flashpoint. It's one of my least know. favorite things. So, it's like, strange to me that you like this. Well, that's the thing. Like, they're shaking it up enough where it's like a, a different take where Batman knows, like, okay, this isn't the wor- real world. So, I'm going to just kind of fuck shit up to kind of get what needs to get done. I think it's an interesting, creative take on it. It's some unbelievable art and the action's over the top. Um, I mean, the art is fantastic. There's this great panel about halfway through of Wonder Woman um, tied up with her lasso. And just um, a lot of big, great sort of big screen storytelling when the Atlanteans attack. Um, but what I like about this a lot um, is in a lot of this sort of flashpoint uh, echo stuff or any of the um, like the button and all of the sort of watchmen, the post watchmen introduction into the DC universe. It feels like things are moving very slowly and it's just like, wait, do you see what we got? And then it, it's hard for the story to really progress. And in this stuff is happening from the Fast. jump. It feels yeah. like it's moving and um, it's good. It's a great mix between so just some fun action and drama and sort of being inside Thomas Wayne's head. I'm going to give a little bit of a gimme here to Pete, which is it's crazy to me that Flashpoint Beyond number zero wasn't the number one issue. And this is the number two issue because this is directly picking up on plot points and cliffhangers and other things that happen there. It is a essential read if you want to get into Flashpoint Beyond number one. So very surprising to me that they numbered it that way. But that aside, as you guys have said, the art is great, as I mentioned, with the number zero issue. I also thought I didn't have a great affinity for the Flashpoint universe, but getting back to this stuff is kind of fun. Like, there's fun aspects of this universe that I'm enjoying. Uh, It's obviously very nihilistic and dark. The thing that I'm most curious about at this point is what is the thematic point? And part of it is it's a mystery, so we're probably not going to find it out for a couple of issues yet. But other than Thomas Wade being like, well, none of this matters, destroy all of this, wreck this, yeah. kill whoever, what are we to get to? What is the ultimate emotional point that they want to make <laughs> here? And I'm interested enough to stick with it and find out what that is. Agreed. Yeah. There you go. Me too. Let's move to, I believe, one of Pete's other favorite books of the week, Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird, number one from Marvel, written by Nyla Rose and Steve Orlando, art by David Cutler. Again, as you can figure out from this title, one of the original dead X-Men is finally back. Uh, after a very long time, he's got a new costume. He's got a new mission. We're exploring that. Pete, you love this, I believe. Why is that? Well, I love Warpath, a huge fan, Um, you know, uh, love a guy with knives. And I think it's one of those things where this is a cool telling. Uh, It's Warpath kind of like owning his death and then kind of. Uh, This isn't Warpath. That's the other guy. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Did I? Oh, Thunderbird. Thunderbird. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I meant to say Thunderbird. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, this is, you know, he's kind of owning his death here, uh, kind of going back, uh, seeing his grandma, always very emotional. Uh, yeah, I really like this. Uh, okay. I liked his, I liked his, uh, kind of like just walking the earth. It's like straight taken from Street Fighter 2, the animated movie. I mean, this is just, Great oh. kind of like stuff. That, uh, I think it's wait. Classic. I feel like wait, you're black. I th- hold on. Don't get distracted by the weird Street Fighter Two the animated movie reference. We got to get back to the main thing that you brushed past as if we wouldn't notice it. The reason you like this book is there's a cool grab idea, right? Who uh-huh. sits on a roof uh-huh. no. and drinks. No. Nope. Yes. Well, you like off, a no. Wait, wait. wait you first love off, a, all right, all right, let's back up the truck. Them all drinking the grandma at the end. truck. The truck full of grandmas that you love. <laughs> the truck that's pulled up to Pete's house every once a week just to say hi, hi, grandma. <laughs> oh, you have to eat more, Pete. Um, I I don't, but thank you. Uh, I I think it's one of those things where uh, I think it's it's just a great kind of like telling of this one person's kind of deal, and they've been away for a while, so it's nice to kind of see them back. And I'm glad that we kind of got to see Xavier kind of being a douche to him and him being blowing him off. So it was like it was cool. Um. Oh, go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to mention, uh, I'm paraphrasing the line here, but there's a thing that Thunderbird says at the beginning after he's resurrected and he's heading home where he's like, great, well, I'm going to leave this reservation that was started by two white men and get back to my home. And I read that and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. So, like, basically the book announced itself and what it was going to be very early on. And I really appreciated that. Um, agreed. And the um, section of the, of the story that deals with um, with John Proudstar's uh, changing his his outfit, his his costume, I thought was really cool, and gave a real understanding of like, hey, this costume before is sort of offensive, and so we're changing it. Um, and here are the reason why we're using these colors, what it means to um, the culture that uh, this character actually came out of in uh, the reality. Um, I thought that was great, and did it in a way that wasn't like in your face like trying to like be aggressive about it it was just like no this is how we're going to do it because this is better than what came before and that sort of is the vibe of the whole thing like I'm a character that died for sort of no reason I was the first X-Man to die and now I'm back and I'm going to actually build a life as a real person as opposed to this sort of caricature that I was um, when it was it has a meta vibe to it in a good way yeah Yeah, I'm all there for it, man. It's it's good stuff. Next up, Metal Society number one from Top Cow, written by Zach Kaplan, art by Gilhiram Balbi. This takes place in a world where humans have mostly died out, except for the ones that have been cloned or resurrected by robots who are running the world. And we follow Classic. two timelines. One where a human and a robot are about to box for the fate of everybody. And then we follow the timeline leading up to that. I'll tell you what, I feel like I have this natural prejudice against Top Cow books, where I'm like, "Eh, I know what they're They're going to be over the top. They're going to be very 90s. I saw the cover and I was like, yeah, it's human robot boxing. That's fine. But not only was the art very good in this book, but there's legit like some really interesting world building here. And I was super into it by the end. What did you guys think? I agree completely um, because there is a little bit of a stigma on Top Cow books, but I think that's wrong because this book, it reminded me a lot of a book I love called Lazarus um, that has uh, Greg Rucka's book um, Mm -hmm. that is um, now in sort of a different format and comes out uh, quarterly, I believe. Um, this sort of has some of that energy uh, where it's like a hero um, in a an apocalyptic world where, excuse me, things aren't great, um, but the this character is um, emerging to fight for um, the right side of humanity. And I thought the this reality was well established, and uh, um, the art was great. Yeah, I I also agree with all that. I was kind of like, all right, what is this about? And I was really impressed with the world building and kind of uh, the story being told. Uh, You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, although sometimes there's some sweet covers out there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Archer and Armstrong Forever, number one from Valiant, written by Steve Fox, art by Marcio Fiorito. This is bringing back the mismatched duo of Archer and Armstrong for a new adventure. And the twist here, a little bit of a spoiler, but Armstrong is maybe not immortal anymore. So Archer is going on a quest to get him back as a mortality, as well as figure out why. I thought this really channeled nicely the humor and the fun of Fred Van Lenty's run on the title. So mm. I was happy to see it back. What'd you guys think? Yeah, I agree. It's great to see it back. This is a kind of a fun take. The old, you know, is his clothes on? Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I think that it's, old thing where you're like, are your clothes on? Other, uh, are you naked at work again? Pete? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, what are we doing? Uh, but yeah, I thought you know it poked fun at, its, uh, at itself the whole way and the kind of whole like kind of talking to the audience about the judo kicks and that kind of stuff. It's fun. Uh, lets it in on the joke. Uh, great art, good storytelling. This this is good stuff. Um, yeah, I agree. This was um, fun, and uh, it, the there's a joke right out the gate um, that I was that uh, was a little like ah, that feels like a weird way to introduce about um, hose and rakes. I think going away, running away, yeah. and I was like, that's weird. And then it's actually a, a gardening uh, group of villains. Yeah. And so I was like a little bit like put off by that. Um, but then the, I feel like it did set the tone and the tone is sort of like a fun, uh, odd couple style story where you can get away with both those sort of like in your face jokes and the much more earnest, I'm here to help my friend superhero tale. So uh, I think it really it established a tone that I wasn't ready for, uh, but then paid it off by the end. Next up, Nubia, Coronation Special, number one from DC Comics, written by Stephanie Williams and Vida Ayala, art by Marguerite Savage, Colleen Duran, Daryl Banks, Jill Thompson, and Aletha Martinez. This is picking up after the trial of the Amazon storyline, which, again, as you can tell from the title, Nubia is the new queen of the Amazons, the United Tribes. So we're dealing with that, as well as her jumping through various past and future lives to tell her whole history with different art. And first of all, you can already tell this from the art team. This is a phenomenal art team on this book. So it's just beautiful to look at, if nothing else. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's the the whole... I just just want to say my patented catchphrase, which is, it's worth it for the art alone. Go ahead, Pete. Mm. It is crazy that nice. you had to actually patent that. Like, I, I did. Wanted a, yeah, I did. I yeah, and I really appreciate how do you, plan, you. How do you plan on earning money on that? I really uh, appreciate you we'll interrupting me to, to <laughs> steal my line. Um, yeah, I. I it's just, amazing he knew you were going to say it. <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah, the art is bananas good. There is just oh, okay, pivoting to another catchphrase. Okay, um, but I love grandmas. Uh, the <laughs> the the watercolor stuff is just so beautiful. Very much enjoyed it, but also cool story. Right? Yeah, cool story, I love this bro. idea. Yeah, I love this idea of uh, uh, Nubia being the queen of the Amazons. What that's going to do? Such a cool story. Well told. Uh, a lot of great stories in this issue uh, worth checking out for sure. It's a great there, – there's a couple different sort of art styles uh, throughout the book, and I think they trans- transition well between them. And uh, we – this this book sort of gives Nubia that – it really not only is a coronation for her um, with the Amazons, it feels like she's sort of coronated in the DC universe as well with this book as like, hey, this is a character that you're going to want to pay attention to going forward. Um, so it, it does a good job of doing that. Next up, Twig, number one from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Carl Stram. This is a book about a little tree boy who's taking a journey and things go terribly wrong by the end there. Justin, you'd probably be better able to speak to this because I've actually never read this book, sadly. But I feel like this has shades of bone. Is that correct? Oh, wow. Yes. Wait, you've never read bone? I've never read bone, man. He's calling everybody out before they can say things. That's insane that you've never read Bone. It you is gotta crazy. Read it. I know. It's sitting upstairs in my son's bedroom. There's no excuse. Wow. Is he holding a hostage? He's like, Dad, this Every is Every time mine. he slaps my hands away. Oh, that's a strong boy you've raised. Smart kid. 
Thanks. Um, <laughs> it does have shades of bone, but I'll give you two other comparisons um, as well. Ooh. That hit me because uh, I did think of the bone thing, but the f- in front of it was Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. Um, this has some advent- good Adventure Time vibes and um, the Never Ending Story. Ah, uh, I feel like this has that sort of fantasy world exploration quest element to it um, with two characters that um, are a bit like Finn and Jake from Adventure Time. But the bone side of it as well, where it's like fun, sort of mirthful characters that are in um, a fantastical world that um, is may end up being threatening to them in the long run. But um, I love all of those references I just made. So this book fits <laughs> right in line with things I love. Love. The never I'm not saying I love story. myself for saying that. Yeah. I just no, love no, the things I've read. Turn around every now and then. I don't know. I don't know if this. Uh, Sorry. So so we... This for is those just... listening, we actually have a rehearsal for the musical writing. Uh, we just double right after it. this. So yeah, we're going to be yeah. dipping in and out of it a little bit throughout. Yeah. The um, we're doing a we're doing a musical version of Stranger Things season three. Uh, <laughs> this is a goddamn magical book. It's really just a goddamn. cool world to kind of jump into and explore. Scotty Young's going to take you on a great ride. You should just sign up and be like, Scotty, take me wherever you want. You you you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're the boss, Scotty. <laughs> oh man, I, I'm just imagining you going by Scotty Young's house and being like, "You ready for that ride? You gonna take me on that ride, <laughs> Scotty? What's going on, Scotty? Take me on that ride, Scotty. I said you're the boss. You're the boss. <laughs> take me on that ride. Scotty doesn't know. Scotty uh, doesn't duh. know. Pete's in cars riding with Scotty Youngs. Next up, Spider-Man 2099 Exodus Alpha from Marvel, written by Steve Orlando, art by Paul Fry. This kicked off a big uh, Spider-Man 2099 event here. Some bad things have happened to a bunch of the heroes, but Spider-Man 2099 is still around, as is Ghost Rider 2099, as is a mystery villain that I won't spoil here. Justin... You were a 2099 fan, right? What'd you think? I'm about a big this? 2099 head. I look forward to that year that I will be long dead for, um, I'm sure. But uh, this book, um, Spider-Man 2099, is a great character. Back from uh, I believe Peter David launched the character and helped create it. That universe was always doomed to be sort of a weird side trip uh, that Marvel took at one point. But there's some good stuff in there. Um, this book, X-Men 2099, is like weird and quirky, but there's some good stories in there. Uh, the Punisher 2099, I actually remember being good um, as well. But um, Steve Orlando is the perfect person to sort of take over and bear the standard of this character. And already it's getting deep into the world using that sort of futuristic doublespeak that they used so well in the original 2099 series um, and getting into sort of the powers that are controlling this world and big events happening. Classic Steve Orlando, go in hard, have a bunch of stuff happen and have the audience try and keep up. So I like this. Yeah, I mean, this is really over-the-top, uh, crazy fun. I mean, you had me at Ghost Rider with a flaming chainsaw, uh, so I'm all in. Uh, not usually a 2099 head or fan. What year but, do you like better than 2099? Uh, tw- 2022? Really? Cool. Man, this is the second time we've talked. Uh, so far in the past couple of hours we've been like this year is great I'm having a great time <laughs> I think you're the only one I'm not uh, I, I, you know obviously there's a lot of not, nice things not to be enjoying right now but I'm just saying that like this future with the kind of like uh you know, with the Spider-Man and yeah, I not I wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, I do enjoy comics now, though. So for me, I'd say 1993, the only year I can oh. remember movies coming from. Literally, uh, whenever I what? make a reference, literally whenever ever I make a reference to a movie, I look it up and like, oh my god, that came out in 1993. Why is that the what? only year I could what remember movies? movies? What I movies are you referencing? I'm not sure. Armageddon, maybe? When did Armageddon come out? I think it was 93, yeah. Yeah, probably. 
In um, any case, why don't we move on to another time travel conundrum? I'm going to get into his 98, you psychos. Uh, 93 movie. Well, it was Gleaming the Cube? like When Harry Met Sally or something. Gleaming the Cube? It was not 93? I was on the set of When Harry Met Sally. My brother ruined a take. Earth Prime. Wait, 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 wait. No, I'm just going to What? (laughs) My, so my uncle was working on When Harry Met Sally. There's a very quick shot of the movie. As as a. As the star of the movie, Harry. No, Uh he he was the, uh, I think he was like the AD or the second AD. Whatever it was, he was the guy. Oh, yeah, we got a line, was, another line producer in the game. Yes. He was the guy, this is crucial to the story, he was the guy who would yell rolling before the director yelled oh, action. And you made be the AD. That's such a that's a big job. Yeah, yeah. Uh so uh, we were on the set. There's one very quick shot. I think in the movie, it's like part and of why a were you on the set? Just because your uncle on. was there, and you hold wanted- on. There was there's one quick shot of the movie where Harry and Sally are rolling a carpet up, and I think it's just part of a montage. It's not even really a scene, but. My uncle invited us to come by the set and say hello because they were filming in Manhattan. And so I very distinctly remember this. We were on the set. I was very little. My brother was way littler than that. And he didn't know anybody. So we were can, on the set for a very long time. And so the... Can you give us some ages instead of saying little and very little? Like, what were you, five? No, or you two? Gonna. I don't know, probably like eight and four or something like that. I okay, honestly thank don't you. remember the time period. But the so is one guy yelled rolling, and then my uncle yelled rolling, and then my brother went rolling. <laughs> and they're like, Well, we can't use that take. You can't <laughs> and they do had that. to and they were already everybody was like running late and running slow for this two second shot, and then they had to reset everything with the take. So Oh wow. Yeah. So they did your brother I, get escorted off the set? I don't talk to my brother anymore. Smart. Based on that moment. You were Based like, don't you dare moment, ruin yeah, this. Yeah. Oh, maybe you were talking about the movie uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, which came out in 1993. <laughs> there you go. I do reference that all the time. Classic Mrs. Doubtfire situation. Oh, the Pelican Brief. You love all Pelican movies. <laughs> That's one of my favorite John Grisham movies where they nice. end up in the Caribbean at the end. Earth Prime Legends of Tomorrow, number three from DC Comics, written by Daniel Park and Lauren Fields, art by Paul Pelletier and Jose Luis. This is, as this Earth Prime series is, it's tying into the CW Hourverse shows. What is this waving of the hands? Uh, I just don't. This is not my thing. This is yeah. What are you talking about this is great uh, the show is ending we get the comic book still well that was what i was going to say is i think like it's probably a very deep dive if you have no idea about the show but given the fact yes. that the show was unceremoniously canceled late last week in like a friday night news stub seeing this which is a story reuniting all the folks who have reuniting. left the show over the course of seven seasons getting together to go on their own adventure was as a fan of the show, Magic. very surprisingly poignant. Yeah, where it was like, oh, this is this is a good goodbye to this show. There's stuff that they tease for the future, but again, deep dive for anybody who doesn't care about this at all. If you do watch it, if you do care about it, it's a very sweet it. goodbye, and particularly given like people were very upset about the show being canceled, I think it's worth yes. a pickup because of that. Oh, my God. When he calls him haircut and everything is straight from the show. I mean, it's just great. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I do think. Oh, I was just going to say on the comics perspective, we've talked about each of these Earth Prime books. The Batwoman book was like way too overstuffed and confusing. The Superman and Lois book I thought was very good, but it was good on the level of this is a good Superman and Lois story. It didn't even feel like it had anything to do with the show. This one, to me, is the most successful in terms of, like, just capturing the feel and idea of Legends of Tomorrow. Um, They did a very good job there. I mean, I agree with you. I I don't watch the show, so I was like, I don't understand a lot of what's happening here. But it does feel like it captures the tone. And if they were being paid by the number of times they use the word legend, somebody Mm -hmm. made a fortune here. Somebody made a goddamn fortune. You should watch the show. 
they make a major cut every episode. Next up, Frontiersman Lockup Special number one from Image Comics, written by Patrick Kinlan, art by Niccolo Asarelli. This is tying into the Frontiersman series, where he is now, as you can probably tell from the title, been locked up in jail, but things go terribly wrong when a ghostly presence comes in there. I thought this was awesome. I had such a blast reading this book. Justin, you loved it. Talk about it a little bit. I love this. I love this book. It, um, even if you've never read, I mean, there's a Frontiersman series. Um, but sure if you haven't, if you haven't read that, you could pick up this issue and be fully caught up. Uh, the idea here is that this sort of older hero um, who passed his prime ended up killing someone in self-defense, and it, we're dealing with the repercussions of that. But then it gets into uh, follows this thread where uh, uh, someone comes in to break him out who has intangibility powers, and something goes wrong. And we deal with the repercussions of that leading to this super sad and poignant end that I just didn't realize was going to hit me hard. And it does. It's really well done. This is great comic storytelling. Um, I thought this issue was such a fun surprise. I, I agree. I love the kind of path that it takes. I love the the way it's handling things and the characters. Uh, art is fantastic. This is a great story and very creative and, and well thought out. Next up, Batman 123 from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Potter and Trevor Harrison. This is part of the Shadow War storyline that has multiple Deathstrokes fighting with the Bat family. So many strokes. I got to tell you, very disappointing, to be honest, because I saw the title for this and I thought this was a Batman counting book, Batman 123, and it's not... It's just part of Shadow War. So did you guys feel the same way about this? No. Batman, one, two, three. It's a waltz, sort of a waltz vibe. Batman, one, two, three. It's going to be great in the musical. We're rehearsing right after this. Um, Do our huge waltz where we sing um, the uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. What were you singing earlier? I don't remember. Uh, This has got really (laughs) badass art. I I really like the action in this. Very cool. And then the backup story has such a fun Joker moment where the Joker's like holding a gun. Then you get all these like bang, 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 bang. And then he's kind of still standing there going, that wasn't me. It was really hysterical. Uh, Some fun. uh, This is a great package. I'll just say the thing that, in general, I really like about Batman is that it's a never-ending story. Oh, Oh, no. All comics. Where's Um, the mute button? um, It's right, actually, on the bottom of the screen, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) But the spoiler, it mutes you. (laughs) (laughs) Little Uh, Monsters, number three. Wait, wait, before we go on, um, I want to say... Uh, shouts to Howard Porter's art, uh, someone we're going to talk about later oh, yeah. on um, in this stack, I think. Ooh. Um, really unique. Uh, Teeing it up. Way of approaching superhero comics. And uh, reading this, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but the fact that Deathstroke's name is mm-hmm. Slade Wilson yep. and yep. Deadpool's name is Wade Wilson. Wade Wilson? I don't like it. Wait, you just <laughs> put that together? That's I didn't purpose. just put it together. Yeah, I know, but someone changed their name. Let's get out of here with this. Oh, come too on, close. Man. Wow. Oh, no, wow. too close. Little Monsters, number three, from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. This takes place in a post-apocalyptic world where there are seemingly only vampires alive and including a bunch of vampire children. However, last issue, they found a human and they sucked his blood. Oh, come on. I mean, it's good. Good impression. Great book. But I'm just saying, if there was another comic book podcast and there was a guy named Dustin Tyler reviewing comics, (laughs) I would be like, hey, Dustin, what's the deal? Like, can we work something out here? This is too close for comfort. There is one. It's called Karmic Book Club, and it takes uh, sort of a Eastern philosophy look at. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. oh man, that show was sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> it I would is. Love a little it's bit, way of, better. We need a little bit more Zen. Um, little little monsters. monsters, not tied into the Fred Savage movie of the same name. Pete, what did you think? 
Uh, you took my joke. Uh, worth it for the art alone here. I mean, this is just uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, kind of got a creepy post-apocalyptic world here. You know, it's it's tough when you're a kid and you're dealing with, uh, you know, blood and being a vampire. It's rough out there in the street. You deal with blood as a vampire. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Love this team. I want it to move like... Uh, 10% faster. That That's my main criticism right now. It's like, I'm enjoying this book. I just need way more from it every issue. Oh, are you saying a Jeff Lemire book where you walk out of it and you're like, oh, it's over now? <laughs> uh, that's it? Um, I mean, not no knock, because I do love Jeff Lemire's work, yeah, yeah. but was it Primal? Was that the book with the yes. animals in space where I was like, what is this? I ordered a, um, a steak and I got like a couple of sliders. I'm feeling it more with this book though, because they've been like in the same alleyway for three issues now and it's starting to drive me a little nuts. But at the same time, I'm still loving every issue and I'm loving the writing. The characters are interesting. The situation is yeah. interesting. The way they're eking out information is interesting. And obviously it's like, like you're saying, the steak is great. I love this bite that I'm having. Please have the kitchen bring out the rest of the bites. Um, I love it when I order a steak and they give me one bite at a time. The, the chef <laughs> they cuts a little bite. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always ask the chef to please give it a couple chews in his mouth and then send it out to me. <laughs> Smart. Do that. Yum, yum. Peter Luger, it's another $150 for them to do that. Yeah. I'll have my steak medium rare and lightly chewed. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I I will. I do think this is um, the the water is slowly boiling. So I don't think we feel it as much here, but I actually, I really like this issue. I thought it did flesh out the world a little bit. We get a little bit of a flashback to the time before. um, And the story has moved along the line with um, the, the the father and daughter who we have just met here and didn't get to hang out with the father much because he's full (laughs) of blood, blood. One Pete, Pete, bad, If you're wondering how to make that noise, you just stick your tongue out when you're talking. Ready, ready, bad. Well, please we'll do move it in on. Please we'll do it in no, that's the end of the podcast. Nope. One never-ending story. One Star Squadron, number six from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell, art by Steve Lieber. In this issue, the final issue, Red Tornado catches up with everybody who worked at Heroes for You. We got some sad uh, but sweet and ultimately, I think, hopeful revelations at the end here. Man, I love this series. I thought this was so good on an issue-by-issue basis. But also, if you want to go back and pick up the collection that inevitably will come back down the road, come out down the road, I think it's totally worth it for that as well. Uh, What did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, uh, they're telling the kind of the sad story of, uh, you know, superheroes had to work day jobs like us assholes, like how sad their lives would be. Um, so it's kind of tough for that, but uh, the art's great. It's very moving, very cool. Uh, kind of reminds me of a you know like a, a Tom King the Vision type of thing. Because it's sad. Yeah. Um, it is sad, and what we talked about this the last issue. Um, we sure did. Came out. And it felt like, oh, that's sort of the end. This sort of like crushing end to it, and the fact that we punch through and offer. Red Tornado's take on sort of what it's like to just live in a mundane world, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then explore some of the other characters' takes. And then we get this letter that's read at the end that I thought was just really sweet and gave Red Tornado's front half of the monologue of the book such great context about sort of weird, special coincidences that do punctuate our lives and do make things feel like special and different. I thought it was just such a nice package and something that just subtly gave us sort of both sides of what it's like to just be alive and live a normal life. And and the fact that that happened in this sort of like wonky, funny superhero book was really cool. Yeah, good stuff. Next up, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, number seven from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender. Art by Andre Lima Arujo. In this issue, things go very badly for our protagonist as 
his safe haven gets attacked by mercenaries or assassins or something. It's not entirely clear. But Pete, you've been loving this book. Talk about this one. Yeah, I mean, first off, you got Remender, so the writing's going to be insane. You can't trust anything that's happening. Uh, but what I really like about this story is the pacing. Each comic, you kind of get a little bit more, a little bit more information. But it is so intense, and uh, the stakes are so high, and we kind of really the get The stakes this- are so high and lightly chewed, just like I like them. Uh, great. And so what's nice is the... Uh, we kind of get to see like a little bit of what they're running from in this issue and why the stakes are so high, which is great, but man, this guy can't catch a break and he's working his ass off out there and it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, but man, I'm having a great time. Bananas art. <laughs> Sorry. When you just punctuate with like gesundheit, but instead yeah. you say bananas art, it yeah. sounds insane. <laughs> um, I am. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, clip that. Can we clip that? Talk to the editor about clipping <laughs> yeah, no that. Problem. I am insane. Uh, I, I I agree. This book is fun. It's a stressful read because we aren't in any character's head. We're wa- yep. just watching like sort of medium to bad stuff happen to these characters <laughs> all the time, um, and it's a stress. It's just a nonstop stress, and we still don't know really what's happening in an overall sense. Uh, but good stuff. Next up, Batman Killing Time, number three from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by David Marquez. In this issue, Cat and Woman and the Riddler are on the run with whatever this treasure is. Batman It's an is, eyeball. It's, is it? That's what we're led to believe. Yeah. Well, we don't exactly know what it is yet, Just... but we do know that Batman is hot on their trail, and we get introduced to a new villain called the Help. The Help. Ah, uh, finally, by, and and Alfred, I can respect. Played by Octavia Spencer. Oh, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Emma but... Stone. Yeah. Viola Davis. Bryce Dallas Howard. A couple of other people, I assume, in that cast. You're eating a Wait, shit uh, pie. What is that? Uh, from the movie The Help? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pete, as an Alfred man, mm-hmm. um, what did it feel like to see like another Butler adjacent character and be like, wow, this guy's got some chops? Well, first off, you knew the uh, the Butler was going to whoop on Batman's ass. I mean, that was intense to see, you know, The Help taking it to Batman like that. Um but uh, yeah, I really think this is really amazing art, great story, and uh, oh damn, Batman's getting his ass whooped. It's been a long time since I've seen him uh, this outclassed so fast and so early. Um, I love this story. I think you know t- the Bat Cat uh, series that um, Tom King uh, helmed. I think you know was good, but had some issues with it. This series is what. Um, everyone should be reading if they want to see a great Batman Catwoman story. It's nonstop. It's great the way that um, time is used here. And truly, um, Alfred needs to get his shit together and learn how to do some stuff. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Deadly class number 52, a class that Alfred should probably think about. Oh, come on. <laughs> From Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Wes Craig. In this issue, Marcus and Maria are trying to just live normal lives. Oh, and things go terribly, terribly wrong for them by the end for reasons that you may not expect. Love this issue. Thought it was so emotional, so such a change of pace for this series, uh, what did you guys think about this one? We're about four issues from the end of this four. point, I think. 56 is the last. This is 52, yeah. so there's oh, four man. more. And no. I mean, remember, for A, like comparing this to Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, just absolutely different types of stories. And like the fact that it, th- these both sprang out of Remender's, Rick Remender's head is so cool. But this is like just such a – it's a reason why comics – need to go on for a long time where like any great story should be able to really age and like a, like a great scotch. This is really coming a into fine wine or scotch is what I was going for. Like a rich peaty Pete, peaty, peaty scotch. It's got the Pete. You know what I mean? Okay. The Pete, ah, oh, the Pete, the Pete. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just saying my name. I don't get it. <laughs> Look it up. P E A T. Oh, Pete LePage. Uh, like Pete Moss? Exactly. That's what the Pete is. 
That's what makes scotch um, have the peat. Um, you sort of have that sort of vibe to you, you know, sort of like an older, mustier <laughs> scent, like a yeah. musk. Yeah. Uh, this book is just got gotten so good. I feel like we've really grown up uh, alongside these characters at this point, even though it's only been I'm, 50. I'm sorry. Years. I got so distracted about you seeing my name so many times. What book are you talking about again? Um, I'm talking about um, Pete LePage, this, the novelization. Oh, okay, uh, cool, cool. The cool. story of your life. So yeah. I keep saying your name. They added a bunch of scenes, which I was very surprised <laughs> yeah. about. It's crazy. This scene is in the, the book. Yeah. This uh, is dead, such a momentous Deadly moment. class. We're talking about deadly class. Yes. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that one, Pete? I, I love Pete? it. I mean, I continue. <laughs> we, You know, this isn't the ship that I wanted, but I really like them together, Shit. and I really liked uh, kind of their the way they talked about their relationship and you know dealing with their health issues and like how they're going to live moving forward. It gets forward. real. It gets real, and even in comic books, you know, it's nice to see that kind of like that that emotion and that kind of a communication and relationship. So, um, you know, I wish them well, but I know Remender's writing it, so I'm a little worried about him. You know. Yeah, something bad's going to happen. But this uh, One Star Squadron, the way, like, living a normal life, there's shades of that here as well in a cool way. Next up, Once in Future, number 25 from Boom Studios, written by Kieran Gillen. I mean, come out! Dead Borat. Oh, here comes the grandma truck. <laughs> yeah! Hey, buddy, why you want me to dump Woo! all these grandmas? I got to go hey. pick up another load. In your backyard, or what's the deal? Somebody yeah. order the coolest grandma ever? In this issue, our main characters are making a pact with Robin Hood as myths and legends break out everywhere. Multiple Arthurs are fighting throughout England and monsters are roaming the countryside. We get to meet this title's twisted version of the Merry Men. Pete, Pete, you're freaking out here. Talk about it. I mean, come on. The art is unbelievable. These are some really... I would say it was bananas good, personally. But go ahead, Pete. Okay, great. Thanks for screaming. Um, I think it's just... We know we've seen Robin Hood a thousand times. I've seen him as a fox. I've seen him as uh, you know Kevin Costner. There's a lot of different variations. <laughs> yeah. so I've seen him as a there, are, there are two genders. I got to be honest, fox and Kevin Costner. But go that's ahead, right. Pete. But yeah. also like the fact that like we're seeing this used in such a creative way to take down kings and to kind of be these wild cards in this universe. Such a great idea. The way they join the Merry Men is hysterical and so much fun. And, I mean, you can't lose if you have a badass grandma on your team. You just can't lose. Um, that's not proven to be true um, <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Pete assembling his... Uh, LePage is 11, him and 10 grandmas <laughs> to go out into the world. You couldn't stop us. You couldn't stop us. We're breaking into the uh, retirement home safe. Uh, I, I think... That's where they keep the cookies. Yeah. That's your catchphrase in the movie, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, this book's gotten a little wooly for me. Oh, it's go a fuck little... yourself. Get out of here if you're going to talk trash. That's ridiculous. No, and like, I I like this book. I love Kieran Gill, and the art is fantastic. But come on! This book, this book was like a story about stories, and now this has gotten into like a D&D game in its like fourth day, where it's like, okay, now it's Robin Hood, and he's got to do this. It's just like... I feel like we've just we're so far away from the story. I mean, we don't even get to be with the main characters much. They're literally sort of heckling fifty different kings fighting, and there are great ideas here. It's just a little bit wild. It's like an overgrown garden, I think. Go fuck yourself. There's some real beauty in overgrown gardens. Okay, so I I agree. Wanna, that's what I'm saying. Like, There's beauty. Don't prune away the beauty. All right. There is some magical stuff. Plus, Most gardeners right? would agree with you, Pete. Let an overgrown garden be even more overgrown. Just see what happens. No, perhaps no, no, no. don't put that. Perhaps up. it becomes a forest. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, what if forest. you need a little basil? You're like, I don't know where it is. Uh, anyways, I think Go it's one of those things tree. where the action is 
really fantastic. You get a lot of amazing panels that, you know, you only get, get to kind of enjoy in comics. I don't know when you can see a bunch of people riding an arrow, but you can in comics. Are you trying to last word me? You trying to come in on top of me with a last word? Not, no, now I, not, maybe now I am, but I wasn't before you said it. Don't you ever try to last word me with this grandma shit. Well, I just think it's disappointing that you're you going to come it again? in here you do it again? poo poo uh, something just because you're over it for some reason. Can I just say, I agree. Moving on, Radiant Black, <laughs> number 14 from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Marcelo Costa and Eduardo Ferragato. In this issue, we have our main character is going ham on some villains in his universe and maybe taking things a little too far. That's at least what we're exploring here. Continue to love this title. Continue to love, like, its dark take on an Invincible-style comic. Um, I'm just having a blast reading this. I agree. Yes. It's really uh, unbelievable art. Such a cool use of this power of Radiant Black with the different people kind of taking up the mantle, what they do with it. You get to see a lot of different characters and how they handle it. Uh, I'm constantly impressed with this. They they introduce new villains in fun, cool ways. Uh, yeah, the use of just color in this book is really creative and fun. And uh, I also love the kind of meta uh, kind of back page thing that we got here. And a little shout out to Brooklyn. Uh, nice. Shouts to Brooklyn. Um, this book. Where Brooklyn um, at? Right here. Right here with your buddies, oh, Alex oh, and Justin. Here. Yeah. Uh, I like this book a lot because it's sort of paying off on the promise of like a new Spider-Man. It speaks in the very modern language to talk a lot about like crypto and NFTs randomly in this, um, which um, feels uh, very topical. Topical. And the fact that we're also getting into um, sort of a a little bit of dark territory and the inherent relationship is the hero we thought who's going to be the hero, but then gave up the powers to have a second person be the hero. And that relationship is inherently interesting. Last but not least, we're going to talk about JLA Rock of Ages from DC Comics, written by Grant Morrison, art by Howard Porter. As mentioned, this was a request from ZerNR45 on iTunes. So this is this ran in 1996, 97, something like that in JLA 98, 98 um, oh, 93, I, 93. Yeah. In JLA, I believe number 10 through 15. And this starts with a new formation of the Injustice League attacking the Justice League, taking them down business style, thanks to Lex Luthor. But it spirals out into Darkseid attacking the Earth and an alternate future, among other things. So lots of stuff going on here. What do you guys think about this one? Well, I've, I really appreciated the uh, the very 90s feel that it had. Great use of skulls. Uh, You know, I I just felt it was kind of like going back in time a little bit reading this and uh, in a fun way, uh, revisiting my childhood in a non-traumatic fashion, which I appreciated. Um, But yeah, just traumatic, uh, just over the top kind of 90s action. uh, Good stuff. Uh, This this I feel like so Grant Morrison's writing this Howard Porter, who we just talked uh, is on the art. And um, it's that sort of wild, weird Howard Porter art, um, but still superhero comics. A lot of, like, strong facial choices throughout this uh, arc. But let's just lay down who we're dealing with here. Um, You've got your Kyle Rayner uh, Green Lantern. Right. You've got uh, Flash, Batman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter. you got Superman Blue. you got Blue Superman here. Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. all about energy, absorbing energy. It's everyone's... Most everyone's the least favorite iteration of Superman, yeah. um, where there's a blue and a red Superman running around. And then you got Aquaman uh, with a hook hand. He's got a fish hook hand. So right, it's a right. wild time in the DC universe in general with our main heroes being sort of like weird 90s versions. We all were a little weird in the 90s, right? Sure. Um, yeah, 100%. 93? Don't even talk to me about that. Oh yeah, God. exactly. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, um, Robin Hood, um, Men in Tights, I think, mm-hmm. to yep, bring it sure. all together came out there that year. Um, and this is at the perfect connection point between Grant Morrison writing superhero comics in a big superhero way and then him writing just sort of almost insanity all of, all the time <laughs> with like 
uh, ships uh, made of music and all those things. This is like a nexus point where the superhero stuff was still superhero-y and the stuff they were doing was wild um, all the time. Like Lex Luthor being a big presence, uh, the Injustice League, the Joker laughing, the sort of um, Metrons here, uh, getting into bigger and bigger stuff throughout. It's a great touchstone Justice League arc. My biggest takeaway from this arc is this felt like, and granted it's, you know, decades later, but this felt like a dry run for Final Crisis down to Darkseid mm. taking over the Earth, where, I don't know, I Final Crisis is not my favorite story of all the time, but, like, it's so clear what he is doing there is... This is the last DC comic story. Obviously, it's not, but it's Grant Morrison writing it. It is like, this is the ultimate Batman story. This is the ultimate Superman story. This is the ultimate Wonder Woman story. And he has those clear ideas in there as they all go against Darkseid taking over the entire Earth. Instead, that happens here in one, two issues, something like that. And it's sort of honestly not the biggest thing. And the whole thing feels kind of like a lark. It doesn't have the weight of what's going on in Final Crisis. So it's interesting to read it where it's almost to me like he went back to those ideas and he was like, I can do that better. You know, like this, oh, this that's is good. Funny. But that's how it felt he, to me. See, I feel like everyone at DC2 was like, yo, that was cool. What if we just did a much larger version of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more here. I, I feel like it's not a, a criticism. It's more of a, like, let's push it. Um, also in this arc, the Watchtower, Grant Morrison's run on JLA, it's all about the Watchtower. And, of course, that means Aztec is a character that never, I think, did Grant Morrison create Aztec? I think Probably. so, right? Now, you don't hear about Aztec after this, but Aztec is like this big sort of audience avatar, like hero who's sort of like, what? All these people have superpowers? And I watch from this tower? Like throughout the whole thing. And Aztec is a character I was like, this person's weird here. But Aztec is in prime form um, throughout Grand Morrison's run. So yeah, there you go. Zirin R45, thank you so much for the suggestion. Like we mentioned, if you yeah, would appreciate like to it. make a suggestion, drop it in the iTunes comments. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment there. We would be happy to talk about stuff. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube coming out. We'd love to chat with you about comic books iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Five, six, seven, eight, never ending, ending story. Batman, one, two, three.